welcome to The Intersection with Shona Alexander Benjamin. The Intersection is the place where I have good, uncomfortable conversations about everyday issues that impact women and children, the family, and the broader society. Thank you for supporting this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Anchor platforms. I encourage you to like and share. If you would like to be a guest on The Intersection, the contact information is in the description box. The aim of this episode is to raise awareness about trauma. I will share one of the many definitions of trauma. I will also share three examples of ways a person's traumatic experience can be minimized thus contributing to re the re-victimization and re-traumatization of an individual who experienced a previous crisis incident and was traumatically impacted by the experience. I will share seven ways you can support an individual who experienced a traumatic incident, thus working towards establishing a trauma-informed culture within the home, the community, and your organization. You will not hear various theoretical approaches or therapeutical approaches in this particular episode. As initially stated, the aim of this episode is to raise awareness about trauma and provide examples of how you may be minimizing someone's traumatic experience or may have done it in the past. Now, what is trauma? We hear the word being used by advocates, clinicians, activists, development practitioners, even individual persons in communities and persons within the home, and we hear the word trauma, trauma, trauma. Now, according to Nonviolence and Social Justice Org, as cited in Cooper and Lesser 2015, page 190, and I quote, a trauma is a experience that emotionally, that is emotionally painful and distressing and overwhelms a person's ability to cope, vulnerability, and powerlessness result. For some, Trauma can refer to circumstances that are outside the normal experience. For others, trauma can occur frequently and become part of the human experience, end quote. This is one of the most simplest definitions of trauma I have come across and decided to use it for this podcast. This does not mean I do not use other definitions um, based on the context and work that I'm doing. Um, however, because this is an uh, awareness raising episode, I love this definition and I found it to be best suited for this episode. Now, Cooper and Lesser 2015 speaks about the components of trauma in their book, Clinical Social Work Practice Integrated Approach. 
And they said that trauma has two components, a subjective and objective component. And it is the subjective experience of objective events that determines whether an event is traumatic. And I will repeat that. Trauma has two components, a subjective and objective component. It is the subjective experience of objective events that determines whether an event is traumatic. Now, human beings respond to life events differently. Yes, because we are all unique and we are all different and, you know, we have different experiences. The human response is linked to the type of support system a person has. So the biopsychosocial and environmental factors. And these act as buffers in and uh, act as buffers to foster an individual's resiliency. Now, they can also act as protective factors, which are like buffers. Now, they can also act as risk factors. And I will discuss those in a future episode, protective and risk factors. Now, the two components of trauma, and bear this in mind, the two components of trauma are critical in our response because how our brain responds and pair emotions to a crisis is key and this plays a significant part in the response process of the objective event. Now, a person with reduced protective factors will be at a higher risk of having or experiencing more, a more intense traumatic experience. So the higher the risk factors or, 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 or the more predisposed this person may be when, it, when an incident occur, the subjective component will be more intense in the case of an individual with a higher risk factor. And they will have that more intense traumatic experience related to the crisis event um, and also if adverse childhood experiences is added to that event now i will share i will now share three examples of ways we all at some point in time may have minimized someone else's trauma i know it has happened to me on many occasions and sometimes it it occurs and people do not set out and say hey i'm going to minimize this person's trauma no it's things that are being done in a unconscious way out of what we call quote unquote good intent so the first example is 
Samantha was involved in a car accident. As a result, she received injuries to her arms and legs. Six months after the accident, Samantha is still afraid to drive her vehicle. Every time she sits in a car, she's anxious and experiences vivid mental pitiers of the accident. Her family then says to her that she should be happy to be alive. And that may be something like a good statement. Hey, Samantha, you should be happy that you're alive. Other people got into an accident and, you know, they're dead or they're, they're crippled or some other thing happened to them. Now, they further go on to say to Samantha, the accident was not as bad as the neighbors. Look at Johnny next door. He got into an accident about four months ago. And look at him today. He bounced back and he is driving again. And good intentions. They further said to Samantha that, Samantha, you're behaving as though you're the only person in the world who has ever gotten into an accident. That may be coming from a place of good intent. What this family is doing is the following one placing a time frame on samantha's healing two minimizing the impact of trauma that samantha is dealing with three questioning samantha's resiliency four they are engaging in comparisons, which is harmful. Now, remember, I spoke earlier about the objective event and the subjective, not the objective event, the objective component and the subjective component of a trauma incident. Now, the objective component is two cars collided. Samantha was in an accident. Two cars collided. The damage of which can be measured. The subjective component, however, is Samantha's cognitive response to the objective event. The subjective response cannot be fully measured and is felt only by Samantha. Her brain may shut down to protect itself or go into overdrive. And that's where people, you know, talk about um, fight or flight or freezing. The intensity of the pain Samantha feels as a result of the injuries she received is felt only by her. The psychological impact of the accident is tied to the subjective component. The intensity of the psychological or cognitive impact is experienced only by Samantha. And the intensity of the impact may affect Samantha's daily functioning, her relationships, her work ethic, and trigger mental health challenges. 
the subjective and objective components of trauma should be at the forefront of service providers mind to provide a trauma-informed service as even helping professionals can minimize a person's trauma and cause further harm now another example a child was bitten by the family dog their parents immediately take the child to the er to be checked out and you know the doctors reviewed him, reviewed the bite, they gave him the proper treatment and they said, sunny boy, sunny girl, you can head home, you know, in a few days, you will be well. Now the parents take him home and they're happy and they're glad, but the child is somber, he is sad, you know, he's fearful, you know, exhibiting certain types of behaviors. And the parents immediately say, after a few days listen to me i got bitten by a dog when i was small and i never reacted like you another person in the home may say come on get over it the dog was playing with you you know the dog likes to play with with us and the dog plays a bit rough sometimes somebody else in the home may say come on uh, your uncle was bitten by a dog look at him he is strong as a horse today somebody else in the home may say why are you overreacting huh? why the parent may further engage in force exposure because now they every time the child sees the dog the child either freezes, gets into a panic attack, runs. So they bring the dog in front of the child and forces the child to pet the dog, adding further trauma to the child, force exposure. Now, remember objective, subjective components. So the objective um event or or component of the trauma is that the dog bit the child this can be measured the subjective component is the cognitive the child's cognitive response paired with emotions and feelings and that cannot be fully measured the intensity of the physical pain which the child feels is one that the child can share the level of pain with doctors and however the impact of the trauma is experienced only by the child on a subjective level the minimization of the child's traumatic experience comes when the parents invalidate the child's feelings and emotions when they compared their responses when they were bitten to the child's responses and the family is unconsciously re-victimizing and re-traumatizing the child another thing is 
when the family is saying to the child that the way he or she is responding is wrong so judgment of the child's response is brought into the conversation the family is further oversimplifying the experience and telling the child that pain is a part of playing when they said when they said the dog was playing with you now comparing the child's experience to that of the child's uncle invalidates the child's experience generalizes make ge make makes a generalization about how the child should respond and they also invalidating the child's emotions and creates creating a culture of emotional repression so the generalization of experiences um in the parent's mind anything outside of that generalization and their worldview regarding the incident is problematic so we move on now to another example a young woman grows without a father this triggers feelings of abandonment and contributes to her inability to establish and maintain healthy relationships she fears rejection and abandonment contributing to uninformed lifestyle choices now a few women see this young girl making some unhealthy life choice lifestyle choices and they decided to do an intervention in this young woman's life and one of the women who is part of the intervention um says someone who grew up without a father um like you did does not have to make the type of choices that you are making and then the woman further goes on to say i grew up without a father and look where i am today the absence of my father did not affect me and i certainly did not make the decisions that you are making another one of the women in the intervention says why are you using your father's absence as an excuse for making unhealthy life choices there are so many things wrong with these two statements that may come across as from a place of good intentions to help this young woman change her behavior and thus begin being a productive citizen of society these statements are based on generalizations thus discounting the uniqueness of the young lady's individual experience these women are also devaluing this young woman as a person they are excluding the impact of trauma on the brain that changes its chemistry structure and functioning another thing they are doing is overlooking that this young girl may have been predisposed to trauma and her protective factors may have been significantly low another thing they may have overlooked is that trauma alters the functioning of the gene 
and intergenerational trauma may have been passed on to this young woman and when the father left that triggered those intergenerational trauma within her and and added a new experience with trauma related to the father's leaving again they are re-victimizing and re-traumatizing this young lady this advice or quote-unquote encouragement from the two well-meaning ladies in this intervention to this young woman may be coming from a place of as i keep saying good intentions the problem is good intentions can cause harm and at times helping professionals do cause harm most people do not make a decision to harm persons um and when i say this in the terms of helping right um, so most people do not make that decision or helping professionals or someone who really wants to do something to help somebody make better life choices. They do not do it from the place of, okay, I'm going to harm this person, right? Um, who have been exposed to some type of traumatic um, incident. In most cases, this is being done unconsciously. Now, going back to the objective and subjective, the objective component of the father's abandonment can be measured. For example, if he was the sole breadwinner, his absence would significantly impact the members um, within the home, contributing to increased school absenteeism, reduced food leading to a lack of nutritional meals, increased burden of care on the mother and children within the home, housing, house, housing insecurity, and limited income capacity. The subjective component, right, is, is, how, the, is how the brain is processing the abandonment cannot be fully measured in its fullest form or the fullest intensity and the impact of the traumatic experience will create this is something that sometimes we don't often talk about that collective trauma so while there is individual trauma there's also collective trauma when speaking about trauma one um ought to consider the biological, psychological, social, and environmental factors, as these can further exacerbate a person's response to a traumatic incident or act as a buffer. While the absence of the father did not make the uninformed lifestyle decisions, it significantly impacted the way how this young lady sees herself and sees the world and it is a contributing factor right in the way how she internalized a lot of things about herself and her relationships with others and it may skew the way she sees relationship and her world view of life it must be noted that 
your experience should not be used as a measuring line for another person's experience with that must be considered so a lot of times people talk about sameness of experience while there may be similarities with experiences because of the uniqueness of individuals the experiences would not be the same and again taking into account the biopsycho social factors so another example an individual was sexually assaulted and the person may break their silence six 12, 36 months or 10 years later. Some people may say, this incident happened so many years ago, it's time to get over it. Somebody else may say, it's time to stop talking about it and move on with your life. These statements are actually minimizing the trauma incident and impact of the incident on the person's life. They are perpetuating silence and shame and re-victimizing the victim. If we are not aware of the ways um, in which trauma can impact an individual, we can cause further harm. Now, what can we do to change the ways we may minimize people's trauma and their experiences with trauma? And how can we develop a culture of empathy that is trauma-informed and healing-engaged? The following suggestions are in no way an exhaustive list. They are just pieces in this big puzzle, right? However, they can act as a guide to enhance our communication with victims, strengthen our responses, and help us to become more self-aware. Number one, acquire a basic understanding on the impact of trauma on the brain and the ways it affects individuals and groups. So we're talking about, when, we talk, when I say it, individuals and groups, the individual trauma and the collective trauma, right? Collective trauma is the impact of the incident on the entire system. For example, the absence of the father will impact the individual members of the family and it will also impact the family as a system collectively. So there is an individual and collective experience. It is critical to also understand the intersectionality of the experience that may converge and act as a further barrier so for instance some intersectionality components can be the family so social um, and economic class their education levels their ethnicity their religion their, their family name the location in which they live the ascribed or non-ascribed prestige that society members have given to the family members, mental health, 
visible and invisible um, disabilities and substance, substance abuse. Now, those are some intersectionality areas that we, we may look at in terms of, you know, a person's trauma. And I just brought this, these as an example to see when you're looking at trauma, you're not just looking at the incident, but you're also looking at other layers in this person's life. Now, number two, we can become more self-aware. Self-awareness helps us to become compassionate, we become active listeners, where we are present for the victim without interjecting or using our own experience to steer the conversation away from the victim to ourselves. So talking about, okay, yeah, I had this experience too, and this is how I, I overcame. This is what I did. This, there, there are times in the conversation when you can engage in self-disclosure, but if someone comes to you or you're working with someone and they, they're explaining to you or sharing their experience, then becoming self-aware allows us to listen compassionately. Number three, become trauma-informed and healing-engaged. This has to do with um, integrating a trauma-informed in, um, response in one's communication with victims and survivors, having trauma-informed care, services, programs, and projects, but also looking at integrating ways to have healing in those process. Number four, Develop a culture of consciousness in language, expression, and thought. This reduces generalizations, comparisons, statements of blame, judging, and devaluing the individual's response and invalidating their emotions and feelings. Number five. Work to establish protective systems that would act as a buffer to individuals and families who experience traumatic incidents. For example, equitable access to resources, healthy relationship models, opportunities for upward mobility. Trauma affects us all differently. If persons do not address the root causes of their trauma, they would bleed on themselves and they would most definitely bleed on other people they interact with while claiming they are okay. Addressing your trauma is not an easy process and please don't let anyone tell you that it will be an easy process. However, if you want to establish a healthy, if you want to establish a healthy relationship with yourself, and others and overcome some of your trauma related problems you must start the process of healing of facing your trauma believe me when i say it gets a bit easier over time to face it does unless you address your trauma you will continue to bleed in unconscious ways while believing you are all well and good until you come face to face with yourself to address the problem, you will continue to say, I am okay. But to address the problem, you must acknowledge that it exists.
and that calls for vulnerability and vulnerability is not weakness vulnerability is bold courage number six supporting people on their individual journey that looks different from yours and at their own pace number seven honor a person's experience at the same time the person's experience is not them we have a way of making people their experiences for example she is a victim we strip them of their identity too so we don't put names she is a victim he is a victim and most people would say that why not say janice survived a sexual assault attack you see re-victimization reduces persons to things and numbers in the absence of re-victimization what we are doing is restoring human dignity and this is something i i talk about all the time because i'm passionate about it um this process of restoring human dignity so this brings me to the end of this wonderful episode on trauma awareness i hope you found this episode to be informative and hopefully you can use some of the information to strengthen your response this episode provided base, a basic definition of trauma three examples and seven ways that we can all work to develop a trauma informed culture within our homes communities and organizations on future episodes, I will have a few guests on to look at different aspects of trauma and to have some beautiful, engaging, intellectually stimulating, thought-provoking conversations. So this has been Shona Alexander-Benjamin here at The Intersection, and The Intersection is the place where I have good uncomfortable conversations about everyday issues that impact women and children the family and members of the broader society thank you for listening and remember to like and share this podcast and you can follow me on apple google spotify and anchor and as i always say live intentionally because you can and always keep a goal in mind. Have a great one. And until we meet again, be safe. Thank you for joining us today. You have been listening to The Intersection with Shona Alexander Benjamin, the place where I center conversations on personal growth, living intentionally, and women, peace, and security. Don't forget to like, 
comment and share this podcast. See you next time. And remember, always keep the goal in mind and be intentional about your progress.